Our Father, we just thank you for uh, this morning. We thank you for gathering your people together here. We thank you, God, that uh, we thank you for Jesus who came to save us and to rescue us, who is indeed the Christ, who is the Son of God, who is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins, who is the Good Shepherd. Lord, I pray that you help us over the next few minutes to see Jesus for who he really is, uh, to even identify um, where we may be following something other than him or someone other than him. And Lord, just give us eyes to see who you are and your great love for us as demonstrated in Jesus Christ and turn our hearts to you. Say what you want to say over the next few minutes, God. Have each ear hear your word as you want us to hear it and transform us into your likeness. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So over the last uh, several chapters in John, like I said this morning, we're in John chapter 10, but over the last several chapters, uh, John has walked us through several stories where Jesus interacted directly with different Jewish uh, feasts and festivals in order to reveal to, uh, to the Jews that he was in fact the Christ, the very one that all of those feasts and all of those festivals had been in- anticipating. And so we've seen Jesus over the last several weeks as the Lord over the Sabbath, We've seen Jesus as the true Passover lamb who has come to deliver us from sin and death. We've seen Jesus as the better temple, as the light of the world. And this week, John will share one final story of Jesus interacting with these public feasts and, these, uh, and making public proclamations about who he truly is. And it takes place during the Feast of Dedication, or some may have even called it the Feast of Rededication. But today, most of us would actually recognize it by the name Hanukkah. And I find it to be really interesting that this last scene takes place during the festival of Hanukkah because Hanukkah is not a biblical feast. Whereas the others that John has mentioned, uh, they were. They were biblical feasts. I believe only Purim uh, would be the, the other extra biblical Jewish feast. But, but the events that Purim celebrates are actually documented in the book of Esther. Um, Hanukkah, on the other hand, celebrates events that came after the Old Testament and before the New Testament, before the time of Christ. Another thing that's interesting about this scene taking place during Hanukkah is uh, just that in our own like American Christian culture, I think, Hanukkah seems to be sort of a Jewish alternative to Christmas, right? Like maybe we know that there's something about some lamps or some candelabras or something like that. We might know that it lasts eight days, which that sounds kind of good. Like if you're going to get a present for eight days in a row, I mean, especially if you're a kid, that sounds nice. Um, But also we can make Christmas into 12 days. We even have a song about getting a gift on each day of Christmas for 12 days. So in my mind, Christmas always wins, right? But if we don't really understand Hanukkah, and our Christian culture makes it seem like Hanukkah is just a Jewish alternative to Christmas, we might take that to mean that it's not Christian. Like it's something that God wouldn't want us to actually be a part of or affiliate with. But today we're going to see that Jesus was present during the festival of Hanukkah. Jesus celebrated Hanukkah. His very presence at the festival may speak to us in a a number of ways today because of that. But I definitely think that in order for us to understand today's passage in John chapter 10, we're going to need to have some sort of understanding of what Hanukkah was all about, what it was that Jesus was celebrating during that festival. 
So let's just talk a little bit about that before we jump into the rest of today's passage. In 332 BC, Alexander the Great and his conquest brought uh, Greek political power and Greek culture into the Middle East. And then like over the next 100 or 150 years, the Greeks were like assimilating Jews into their own ways of living. Eventually, the scripture was translated into Greek. You've probably heard of that. It's called the Septuagint. And this translation came about because so many Jews by this point were not even able to speak Hebrew. They couldn't read Hebrew. They only knew Greek. And so there was a Greek translation of the Jewish scriptures. And this Jewish assimilation into Greek culture is often referred to as Hellenization. And then, and over the years, there was a resistance to Hellenization, as you might imagine. But even many of the temple priests over that, that long of a period became increasingly influenced by Greek power, Greek culture, Greek religion. And eventually there were priests who were leading the temple, shepherding God's people, who allowed Greeks to enter into the temple to sacrifice unclean sacrifices like pigs in the temple. They gained control. They even outlawed circumcision, right, which actually set people's, uh, God's people apart from others. They burned scrolls of scripture and they set up idols to pagan gods in the temple. And I'm not just talking about like Greeks did this to Jewish people. I'm saying Jewish people were Hellenized and were with them and they helped them do it. And then all this finally boiled over for those who resisted Hellenization, which is why the Maccabean War broke out in the 160s BC. And so Judas Maccabeus or Judas the Hammer led a successful revolt against the Greeks and those Hellenized Jews to recapture the temple and then to rededicate it to the Lord. Now, when we think of Hanukkah, you and I are most likely familiar with like the menorah, right? And the story behind that comes from when Judas Maccabeus recaptured the temple and he sought to rededicate the temple. And what they found when they got into the temple was that everything had been desecrated. Right, So much so that there was only one day's worth of oil left to burn for this rededication of the temple because the rest had been desecrated. It was unclean. It wasn't fit for burning in a holy uh, feast, in a holy festival. And there wasn't time to make new clean oil. There was one day of oil. And the the rededication festival was essentially a celebration of of the Feast of Booths that had been delayed because of the war. But it would have lasted, the Feast of Booths would have lasted for eight days. Reggie talked a little bit about that last week and the lighting of the lanterns in the temple during the Feast of Booths. And so this eight-day dedication that was basically like the Feast of Booths just delayed would have included the lighting of the lanterns. But there was just this one day's worth of oil to burn. But it burned for the entirety of the festival for eight days. That's the miracle. That's the menorah thing. But Hanukkah itself is actually not about the lighting of the lamps or that particular miracle, though that's certainly still remembered to this day, and it's a, it's a big deal. But that first dedication, that became a yearly rededication. Hanukkah is about remembering that God had reclaimed his temple. Hanukkah was about rededicating uh, their worship to him and his ways, always. And so the festival in Jesus' day was also a reminder that the wrong leaders, corrupt leaders, could lead people away from God. 
The season was a time to ask then some difficult questions about what leaders or, or, or shepherds were leading the way and where it was they were leading. And these questions about who the people were following and where they were being led to would be on people's mind at this celebration, which brings us to today's scripture and a similar set of questions for us to consider this morning. But let's go ahead and read through the first part of John 10. It's John 10, 1 through 21. You can follow Along with me in your Bibles, it'll be on the screen for you to follow along with as well. Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he's brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and he scatters them. He flees because he has a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know know me, just just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? We'll stop there for now. All of what we just read is said by Jesus at some point between uh, the Feast of Booths and Hanukkah, which are not too far apart from each other. Part of it could have been said in relation to those who opposed his healing of a blind man, which we dealt with last week in chapter 9. It could have been said at some other point between the two feasts, but whatever the case, it definitely sets up some context for the point that Jesus uh, makes in the second half of this chapter, which is during Hanukkah and during the Feast of Dedication. There's a great many Old Testament passages that refer uh, to God as a shepherd, but maybe most pertinent to what Jesus says here in John is Ezekiel chapter 34. Just listen to this first part, Ezekiel 34, 2 through 4. Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, 
and with force and harshness you have ruled them. Now Jesus in John 10 builds on this Ezekiel passage as he paints a picture of sheep in their pen. These shepherds, they would have often had these pens sort of built up against like a a canyon wall or something like that. Anywhere where they could get a place where there'd be as many sides as possible where nothing would be able to get in. The fewer exposed sides the pen had, the better, right? Less chance of something getting in or out. And then where it was exposed, they would build walls and they would put like thorns or something sharp on the top to prevent anything from climbing in and attacking the sheep. And there would only be one door be one gate, one way in, one way out. The shepherd would only come in through the door or through the gate. Like only one who was looking to steal or kill or destroy or eat the sheep, right, would try to climb the wall or do something other. If you were supposed to be there, you'd go through the door. But the shepherd came through the door, and the sheep knew him, and they trusted him, and they followed him. And when he led them out, they followed, and he led them to green pasture. He'd take them to a place for food, a place for drink, a place for rest. And if something or someone, a wolf or something like that, were to come against the sheep, the shepherd, a good shepherd, a, she- a shepherd whose these were his sheep, would stand in the way. Right? A good shepherd would put himself in harm's way to protect the sheep. And maybe you can see with me how the bigger picture starts to unfold. Like with the Feast of Dedication coming up, when those hard questions are surfacing of who is shepherding us? Where are they leading us? Why are they leading us where they're leading us? Are they corrupt? Are they good? Jesus is leading people here to consider who it is that they're following. Who's shepherding God's people? What for? And where are they leading? Did they come through the gate or did they come over the wall? Are they good or are they corrupt? Like Jesus in chapter 9 just healed a blind man on the Sabbath, right? And the leaders who were angry with Jesus, they were angry with Jesus for healing the blind man and they cast the blind man out as a sinner. But in Ezekiel 34, the Lord called out shepherds and leaders for not strengthening the weak, for not healing the sick, and for leading with force and harshness. And Jesus, like with this imagery of the shepherd and his sheep, is is floating this question. If this is how they treat the blind man who has been healed, are these people shepherding you, seeking something for themselves more than they're caring for God's people? And if so, can they possibly be true shepherds, true gatekeepers? A little further down in that old passage in Ezekiel 34, uh, verses 11 through 15, he says this, Behold, I, this is the Lord speaking, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on the day of clouds and thick darkness. Jesus in John 10 seems to be pretty explicitly referring back to this passage in Ezekiel. Like those currently seen as the gatekeepers and the shepherds and the leaders of God's people do nothing to help the sick or the weak. And they cast them aside as sinners while they hold themselves up as righteous. But Jesus says he isn't like that. He's a good shepherd who is sent by the Father to lay down his life for his sheep. He came not to cast sinners out, but to rescue them. He deeply cares for them. 
And it isn't just his words that say this. Everybody has seen Jesus doing these miracles, healing the blind, uh, giving, or giving sight to the blind, healing the sick, feeding the hungry, giving water to those who are thirsty, and so on. Jesus claims to be the shepherd God promised in Ezekiel 34. He's the good shepherd, he says. And John tells us that the people at this point were divided about what they believed. Some thought he was insane or that he was possessed, and some believed that he was telling the truth. Let's finish reading the passage. John 10, 22-42. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. And so the Jews gathered around him, and they said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you're not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him, and Jesus answered them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It's not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, it's not, Is it not written in your law? I said you are gods. If he called them gods to them, uh, to, to the word of God, ah, if he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent to the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? If I'm not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. So he went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first. And there he remained. And many came to him and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. As Jesus was leading people to consider who they would follow, calling for people to see him as this promised good shepherd, he enters the Feast of Dedication. He enters into Hanukkah. The festival that remembers when the shepherds and the priests became corrupt only a few hundred years ago and desecrated the temple, leading people away from the worship of their one true God. And of course, it's also a festival that celebrates the restoration of the temple and the returning to worship of God alone. And so people are gathered around him asking, are you the Christ? Is that who you say you are, really? Like, stop keeping us in suspense, they say. Of course, he has said it, and they know that he's said it. I assume that what they really want to see is for him to act on his proclamation. They want him to act in a way that is reminiscent of Judas the Hammer. If he is who he says he is, then it's time to rally the troops, right? To call down the power of God and go lead a revolt against Rome. But Jesus' ways are not their, way, their ways, and Jesus' ways are not our ways. He didn't come to lead a revolt. He came to give himself for his people. He said this much. To lay down his life, to take it up again, to die for their sins so that they won't die, just as the shepherd would lay down his own life to protect his sheep. 
from wolves. So Jesus tells the people again, it's like, I've said it, my works have said it, look at the work that I do. Could I heal the sick if I was not of God? Could I give sight to the blind if I was not of God? Could I feed the 5,000? And the question, of course, is not only that of could he, but would he if he was from God? Because those with earthly power, even the leaders of God's people, don't usually seem too concerned with the needs of the people. They're far more concerned with taking care of themselves and keeping their power. Only God has the power to truly care because only God has power that cannot be lost and the goodness to use it for justice and for beauty. So Jesus, like against this backdrop of Hanukkah with his memory of corrupt leaders and questions of who should be trusted and who should be followed, in response to their question of whether he's truly the Christ, he gives them a blatant answer. He has said so. His works have said so. But they don't believe him because they don't recognize his voice. They only recognize the voice of earthly power, right? Not the voice of God and the ways of God. And and then in his response, he says, I and the Father am one, right? And this is how they responded. Again, verse 31 and 33, the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. And Jesus answered them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? And the Jews answered him, it is not for a good work that you're, we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Just think about that. They asked him if he was the Christ, the expected Savior. But when he said yes, they were ready to stone him. Like, didn't they want him to be the Christ? Didn't, weren't they waiting in suspense, hoping that he was the Christ? Why turn on him when he says that he is who you wanted him to be? Their response in scripture here is that it's because he claimed to be one with God, to be the son of God. But if they had ears to hear, would they not have also heard how he had shown time and again that he is exactly who the scriptures promised would come when it promised that Christ would come. And hadn't the scriptures even promised, scriptures like Ezekiel 34, which we just read from, that it would actually be God himself who came out for his people as a good shepherd. But that's not the way they had thought about it. It's not what they expected. They just wanted really another earthly leader who was given power by God to gain earthly power, earthly things. They weren't looking to be saved from sin and death, really. They hoped for something earthly, something less. Obviously, they didn't realize it was less. They didn't recognize it as such. They couldn't hear that Jesus the Christ was here to do more than they had ever imagined, that he came to give them eternal life. And they couldn't see that during this Hanukkah, they were actually being given a choice again between following a corrupt way or following after the good shepherd himself. And many were set again to go in the way of corruption because their hearts truly wanted uh, and worshipped something other than God. They wanted and worshipped like taking care of themselves or feeding themselves or getting power or wealth or independence or something else along those lines. And their desires were really revealing that they were being led by thieves and robbers rather than the true shepherd. Today, we know a lot about failed leadership. We know a lot about 
failed shepherds and failed pastors. Those who've led people away from God and who have used the church for personal gain like in a plethora of ways. Those stories are often in the news and they include pastors and they include presidents. There's certainly a lesson here in John 10 about identifying a good shepherd, a good leader, or a good pastor. I've taken that to heart this week in preparing. Nobody's perfect. I think that that's absolutely true. But listen to those who lead you. And if you find yourself following somebody, whether it's here at Redemption Church or or somewhere else like Instagram or online sermons or authors or influencers of some other kind, if you find that somebody is leading you to anything or anyone but Jesus Christ to satisfy you, or if you find that somebody's leading you to use Jesus as a means to an end, like Jesus wants you to do X in order to accomplish Y for him, or Jesus wants you to vote one way over another, otherwise he can't accomplish his mission, don't buy it. Under all of that kind of stuff is just the lie that something or someone other than Jesus is the answer. Something else will satisfy, and you can be the hero. And I can be the hero, or our church can be the hero, or that church could be the hero, or America could be the hero, or whatever. Don't buy it. Jesus is the hero, and only Jesus can give us life and satisfy our soul. That's a good lesson to take from this chapter, but the ultimate takeaway from this chapter isn't about identifying good leaders and or pastors. It's about recognizing the real Jesus. And deciding if we're going to follow him or another way. We can't make him out to be anything other than who he really is. C.S. Lewis famously wrote these words in Mere Christianity that you may be familiar with. He said this, "I'm, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, that is, the Christ. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That's the one thing we must not say. A man man who is merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. Both of those things being something Jesus was just accused of in John 10. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He's not left that open to us. He did not intend to. In this final public discourse of Jesus, he he left nothing unsaid, nothing unproclaimed. He was teaching in Solomon's portico, He was teaching in Solomon's portico, right? When they asked him if he was the Christ. If he was just a teacher, no better time and place to say I'm just a teacher. He would have said so. So you can't follow Jesus as just a great moral teacher. It just isn't who he claimed to be. He claimed much more than that. He can't be taken as just another powerful either uh, earthly leader either. Right? He never gained earthly power on earth, though it was offered time and again, and he rejected it, and he laid down his life. So we can't just use Jesus to make America great and powerful or anything else great and powerful. 
See, Jesus claimed to be the Christ. He claimed to be the Son of God. He claimed to be the one who came to save us from sin and death and to give us eternal life with his death and resurrection. And his ways are not our ways, but he called us to follow him in rejecting all the things that would have our worship and to follow him and worship him and trust him instead. I don't know if I've ever seriously considered Hanukkah myself, honestly, not for very long. I definitely never considered it leading into Christmas. Like, I've never gone into the Advent season thinking of Hanukkah, other than Hanukkah's going to happen, you know. Perhaps we should consider it, though, this morning. Perhaps we should consider what might be corrupt in our hearts and who or what we are being led by. We're all very different people. Some of us may look to money for satisfaction. Some may look to power, like political or otherwise. Some may look to accomplishments, while others may look uh, to their reputation, whether that be like a reputation as somebody important or if it's a reputation of somebody who gives and serves. Like all of those type of things can lead us away from Christ if we look to them for our satisfaction and for our life. So I think the question for us to consider this morning is this. Who or what wants your attention? Who or what is pulling your heart away from Christ? Who or what is pulling you in a way that promises satisfaction that Jesus somehow can't fulfill or won't fulfill for you? And then ask this, is that something or someone a good shepherd? Like, is it laying its life out for you and protecting you? Or... Could it possibly have climbed over the wall into the pen? Could it be a wolf luring you away in order to use you and to eat you up and satisfy its own hunger? Everything that shepherds you away from Christ wants to use you and kill you and destroy you. But Jesus came to lay his life down for his sheep, and he did. And he took his own life up again, and he has defeated death, that wolf that would devour us so that we could live that eternal life now and forever with him. At the end of John 10, Jesus ducks out of the crowd who wants to kill him, and he goes back to where John started this story, back to where John the Baptist had been baptizing the people who came out from Jerusalem. And some followed him and believed him, while others were still back plotting to kill him because they, he wasn't who they wanted. Jesus is the Christ. In him alone, we find life. And so the question is just, is he who you want? And will you follow him? And will you believe him to satisfy? We're going to enter into a time of response as we do each week. And as we do that, I just want us to enter into that time prayerfully considering those questions of what's pulling us away? What wants our attention? What might be the wolf in our life? Is it really seeking our good? Or are we following Christ? The band's going to come and they're going to lead us in a time of worship and song. You can spend some time in prayer. And then we're going to take communion as we do each week. And you can come down uh, through the middle aisle and you can take the bread and you can dip it in the wine or the juice. This, of course, is representing the body and the blood of Jesus Christ that was given for us. And as we do this, we are remembering that Jesus Christ is the good shepherd. 
that he's laid down his life for us, that he's given his body and his blood for us, that he's proven that he is the good shepherd and that he's taken his life back up again and that we have been given eternal life in him. So we're remembering the truth of our Savior and we're proclaiming it to one another because we're forgetful people. We need this constant reminder. So if you're a Christian, we invite you to come and to take this with us and to remember and proclaim Christ together with us, whether you're a member at Redemption Church or not. And as you come, you can give your tithes and offerings. There's a box in the back. Maybe you give online. Maybe you give in some other ways. Just let's take a moment in our worship and in our time of response to recognize who God is. He's our ultimate provider. He's our sustainer. He gives us life. And we know we're giving this gift back up to him as an offering and as an act of trust uh, and, and a show of our dedication to him. I'm going to pray for us and we'll enter that together. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for the good shepherd who's come out for us, who has proven over and over and over and over again who he really is. He's the Son of God. He's Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior. He's the long-expected King. I thank you that he came out with such great love for us. Lord, I pray that you help us to recognize him. I pray that you help us to recognize the the corrupt things, the corrupt um, many shepherds, if you will, or fake faux shepherds that would lead us astray, that would lead us away from him, that would steal and kill and destroy us. Help us recognize those things that are in our heart so that we can turn to Jesus. Not only could you do miracles, not only could you give sight to the blind, not only could you heal sick, not only could you feed the 5,000 and do numerous other things, but, but you did. You always were giving yourself you were always doing things for others. You were always loving your sheep. You are always loving us. Just give, give us eyes to see your great love for us this morning as we come and we take communion and your body and your blood and remember how you saved us. In Jesus' name.